Okay, we're going to uh, begin today uh, to, or to keep going in the, the book of uh, Matthew. You, we've been through Malachi, we moved in um, to Matthew, we looked at uh, how the promised Saviour came, we looked at John the Baptist, uh, and we finished off last time with Jesus' baptism. Um, so we're going to continue on now this morning to look at the temptation uh, of Jesus and see what that's about. But that's found in Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. So if you um, just look that up. And um, I'd just like to pray first and just ask for the Lord's help uh, as we look at his word, just to help us to understand what's being said here uh, today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we just come, uh, we, we settle our hearts, Lord, and we come before you, and we just ask for your help, Lord, as we open uh, your word. Uh, we've already heard today that um, we will live by, by your words and not by physical bread, Father, so we just ask for your help today to understand and help out this uh, to sustain us and to help us grow. So we just ask your help, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm just going to read verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these bones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answers him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Wonder when hard times come, do you ever ask God, Why now? Because it seems that uh, when, when we can at least afford it, that everything goes wrong in our lives and we need to fix a car, we need to fix something in the house, we need to fix the washing machine. Why is it that when we're really busy with life, really busy with our family, really busy with church, that that is the time that perhaps we fall ill? I heard it said this week from someone here, I haven't time to be sick. We've been there, haven't we? We understand what they mean when they said it. Why do these things happen just at the times when we really, really don't need them? Uh, to happen. If it was our plan, we would plan them as bad as they were um, to a time that suits us possibly better. Just when we need someone to cut us some slack, it seems that everything goes wrong uh, all at once. And we ask the question, God, why? Why right now? I wonder, do you remember the summer of 1997? I think it was. It was the first, uh, what you call, drum cree protests. Well, that year, we had just finished Sunday school, Pamela and myself, uh, in Carrick. We'd finished for the summer, and, and I was looking forward to September because I was taking on a new role uh, as a superintendent of uh, the Sunday school. And I was looking forward to going back in September. But I took a phone call, uh, and someone on the other side said, David, uh, a bit of a problem. Our bus has been stolen. 
it has been driven out onto the road and used as a roadblock and burnt out as, as part of the rioting that was going on. I remember thinking to myself, really, Lord? After looking forward um, to starting this, looking forward to getting the kids on the bus and getting them up, now of all times, um, why now? We've had this bus for years, but I'm about to ask children to come along and there's no bus uh, to give them. It's not the way I would have planned it. Why now? Why this particular point uh, in time? But what did I tell you? It caused me to pause. It caused me just to, to stop and say, Lord, where are you? Um, why did you let this happen? This is your work. Why did you let it happen at this point in time? Maybe three, four years down the road, I could have dealt with it easier. So I just want us to take um, a little bit of time this morning to consider uh, this time of temptation and testing that Jesus was going through. And, and by the way, the word can mean either temptation or testing. Uh, and Jesus was going through both here, really. So let's pay attention exactly to when this happened to Jesus. If your Bible's still open, um, just look back to chapter 3. Look at verse 16. Jesus has just been baptized. Now, look forward a little um, to verse 12 of chapter 4. And my Bible, and yours probably has something similar, says, Jesus begins his Galilean ministry. So it's clear to see that Jesus' time of testing, this time of temptation, came between two major points in his life, between his baptism and the beginning uh, of his ministry, before the start of his ministry. So before we move a little bit deeper into the passage, I just want to take just a pause here and, and look at this and see is there anything that we can learn uh, from that. Well, the first thing um, I'd like us to look at was that it was after this blessing. It was after his baptism. And temptation and testing often comes to us at a time like that, after a time of blessing. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've been away for a weekend with Christian friends or um, you've had some encouragement with your family or with your work uh, that you do for the Lord. Maybe it's the One Way Club. Maybe it was your own baptism. You were on a high at that time and it was a time that filled you with joy and it was a time that filled you with encouragement we've all had times like that and then whack out of the blue out of nowhere something hits you from the side an old weakness from the past comes and it gets the better of you a discouragement a setback a depression a besetting sin that you struggle with suddenly all comes at you Again, and you didn't see it coming after this time of blessing. This is a time that we need to be aware, isn't it? Then that after times of blessing, after the high times, let's call them, we can be under attack. So we need to be aware of that. The other thing, then, it can be before a breakthrough, because Jesus was about to start his ministry. And the thing is, Satan wanted Jesus to give up. That, that was his point here. This is what he was trying to do, get Jesus to give up. He didn't want him to begin his ministry. He didn't want him to stick to God's plan. He didn't want him to go to the cross. He didn't want sin to be defeated and the wages of sin to be paid. Satan didn't want this to happen. So obviously the focus for Satan here was to get Jesus to give up right at the beginning uh, before 
anything else happens before he even starts. So we need to be aware of this tactic too. Satan used it in Jesus, then he's going to use it on us. He's going to try to get you to give up. He's going to try to get me to give up before we even begin. And I know that every week we pray here for breakthrough. We pray that um, children will be saved in the One Way Club. We pray for our families that they'll be saved. We uh, pray that this fellowship will glorify God in this community. We pray that our friends and family will come to know the Lord. But what if, what if you give up? And what if I give up before any of this happens? What if Satan could discourage us so much that we just throw the head up and say, that's it, we've given these lies. Can't do this anymore, and this isn't for me. See, Satan wanted Jesus to fail, and he wants you to fail, and he wants me to fail. Let's give a wee warning too to the unbelievers here as well. Um, You need to understand this. You are particularly vulnerable at your young age at this time in, in your faith. And Satan wants you to give up before you even begin because you have a whole life of service uh, ahead of you. So this morning can I just encourage you, don't give up. Whatever age you are, keep on obeying even though it's hard. Keep on trusting even though your life doesn't seem to be the way you want it at the minute. But there's breakthrough coming. Because that's how God works. So keep on praying and keep asking the Lord for strength to get you through whatever it is you're going through. And just keep on keeping on. Because blessing can be just around the corner. So often that's how God works. You've been asking God for so long now about whatever that is. But the answer could come tomorrow. And you will see the fruit of that ministry in the future. But not if we believe the lies that Satan is spinning to us. So don't give up. We're still staying in verse 1 here. Um, I just want to look at another thing in verse 1. And it's all in God's plan. It's quite easy to read through the opening words of verse 1. Uh, to move on, probably to get to the what we would call the main bit. But don't miss the point here. Don't miss the words that are here. The temptation that Jesus was going through, God allowed it to happen. Just look at verse 1. It said, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. God was still in control here. And this was part of the plan. If you remember back just over a month before, God had declared his love he had declared his pleasure in Jesus if you look back at chapter 3 verse 17 he said this is my son whom I love whom I am well pleased so if you love someone why would you put them through this why would God who loved the son put him through this the simple answer in the time that we have today is this it was for you and it was for me Remember John was speaking to us about his baptism. And one of the things John told us was that Jesus didn't actually need baptized, but he identified with us in his baptism. He's doing the same here. He was identifying with us in this temptation experience. And Hebrews 4 verse 15, you don't need to look it up, but it explains it way better than I could ever do. And it says this. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. And here's the important bit, yet without sin. We are sinful, he is sinless. God allowed this to happen for our benefit. But please let's be clear here. Jesus was tempted but he didn't sin. But he does understand. Jesus understands your struggle with an addiction. And he understands when you're too tired to fight. Jesus understands your temptation just to give up, to throw the towel in and forget about being a Christian. And when you fall and when you fail, Jesus can understand how you ended up in that position because he has felt what it's like to be tempted and to be tested. So sometimes for our benefit and for his glory, he allows us to be tempted too, just as Jesus was tempted. And that can be a difficult time. I remember um, teaching our children uh, how to swim. It certainly wasn't anything formal. And they did it just if I happened to be in a swimming pool or I was on holiday or something. <clears throat> but that's how they learned to swim. And one of the things that I used to do with them was to take the armbands off and say, you've only got two or three feet to swim here. And, of course, they would head confidently towards me. But then when they got close, I would step back and I would step back. Uh, and I'd do that until I could see this look of panic on their wee faces. And, uh, but they would keep going when they realised that I was there. It frightened them for a bit, but it taught them um, to, to stand or to swim on their own. Uh, and it was for their benefit, that little bit of pressure. So don't forget that sometimes the hard times that we go through, the trials and the temptations that we go through, God allows this to happen for our good, but for his glory. If your Bible's still open, have a look at verses uh, 2, 3, and 4. <coughs> I'm aware uh, that as I speak to, the, to everyone in the room today, that there's people here in the room who are ill. There are people who are tired. and um, Some of us are stressed to the health with the stuff that's going on in our lives. Maybe you are all three. Maybe you're ill, stressed, and tired, and more stuff that I don't know about. But after 40 days of fasting, as the Bible tells us here, Jesus was tired, and obviously Jesus was hungry. I don't know about you, but if I miss my 10 o'clock tea and biscuit, I'm about to faint. But this was 40 days of um, fasting. And Jesus was allowing himself, his body to, to go down. And when you find at times like that, when you're tired, your dependency on God increases. That's what was happening here. And although Jesus was strong spiritually after this time, physically, the human part of Jesus was crying out for attention. And that's exactly what Satan used against him. Listen to what a man called Matthew Henry said about this. He said this. It's one of the wiles of Satan to take advantage of our outward condition. To take advantage of our outward condition. I wonder what your outward condition is this morning. What is it that you need physically? For Jesus, it was food. But we need to sit up and pay attention to this one. Satan is going to try and hit us hard down 
where we have the deepest need. When our enemy is going to take advantage, when we are lonely, he could bring unsuitable friends and unsuitable relationships into our lives. We need to make sure that the time that we have, we use it constructively. <clears throat> Don't give Satan a chance to get in there. Uh, and we, We're prone to gossip. We're prone to be lazy. Don't let that outward condition be controlled by Satan. When we're sick or when we're in hospital, that's when we're vulnerable. I've done this. You know what it's like, man, when you've got the man flu? You wake up, you don't want to do anything else. What's my reaction? I'm not going to pray today. I'm just a wee bit too tired. Uh, and Satan can use that. He can use that um, outer physical need um, to attack you. So it's important this morning just to understand these tactics that Satan uses against us. And in doing this, uh, we can put ourselves with the Lord's help on the road uh, to victory. And if we failed in the past, certainly understanding this stuff uh, will help us along. Have a look at verses 3 uh, and 4. question arises, I guess, what was so wrong with changing the stones to bread? What was the big deal? There's nothing wrong with the question. If you're the Son of God, then, then change the stones to bread. What was the big deal? He'd already changed water into wine, hadn't he? Um, and it was the truth. Jesus could do this. So what was the problem? Why well, can not just do it and move on? But it's how Jesus answered really lets us know what's going on here. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. Jesus reminds Satan that this is nothing new. Jesus is reminding him that just as God sustained him through 40 days in the wilderness without food, that God had already sustained and saved Israel through 40 years in the desert. And that God will keep and provide for his people with a provision that is so much more than just meeting this craving for food. It's also reminding Satan that he is the perfect, obedient son where Israel um, were disobedient and faithless. So the world will find its satisfaction in this stuff. It will find it in more food, in more money, in a bigger house, in nicer clothes, in more comfort. But Jesus says here that this isn't where believers find their fulfillment. Judas already said that today we find our fulfillment in the words that come from God's mouth and in his provision. And like the manna that God had provided for Israel when they were in the wilderness, God will always provide for his people in his timing and on his terms. So be assured of this, whatever you are going through at the minute, there's no need to doubt God because God will provide for his people as he did for Jesus, as he did for Israel in the wilderness. Look at something else in 5, 6 and 7. Let's look at pride for a wee minute. <clears throat> look at where Jesus, or sorry, where Satan brings Jesus to in verses 5, 6 and 7. Where to the holy city, the highest place, the highest point in the temple. And he says to Jesus, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. So what's going on here? Again, what Satan says is kind of true. If you, God will look after you. 
But listen to what Matthew Henry says about this particular temptation. He said, Satan has no objection to holy places as the scenes of his assaults. Let us not in any place, in any place be off our watch. The holy city is the place where he does with the greatest advantage tempt men to pride and presumption. And here's the best, but here's what he says. All high places are slippery places. All high places are slippery places. What's he saying? He's saying just because you've been at church faithfully every Sunday, week after week, just because you live in the security of your Christian friend group, just because you're the leader in the church, just because you've been a Christian for years, just because you have the respect of the younger believers, you're not exempt from the attacks of Satan. In fact, he can use this stuff, the security of our position in the church, but security of our Christian friends. It's very easy to, to find a group of believers to cut ourselves off from the world and to believe that we're safe there, safe from the attacks of Satan. But this is where we can be the most vulnerable. It's not what makes what Matthew Henry say become clear. All high places are slippery places. We can be equally under attack within the church. Satan takes Jesus to a place that should have been safe ground for him. And again, he makes suggestions that are true. So we need to be aware of this tactic of Satan. Sometimes his tactics are obvious to us. There's places we know, just know we shouldn't be. Satan says to Jesus here, you prove, prove how powerful you are. We're on top of your father's house here. And if you are, if you say you are, then show us what's wrong with that. But again, it's how Jesus responds who tells the story. And he says, don't test God. And then he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, 16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Jesus is reminded Satan here that Israel's already made this mistake. He's well aware of it many years before and they doubted that God would provide water for them. Jesus is saying that they made that mistake, that they doubted God. They complained that God had brought them out of Egypt and in the wilderness to die. Jesus is letting Satan know here, I'm not going to make that mistake. And I certainly don't need to prove myself to you. I know that my father is faithful I don't need to test his care for me and I don't need you Satan to remind me of that and it's easy for us to test God and I believe at times in my life I have done that just pushed, pushed it a little bit to see how far uh, it can go maybe when we're not getting what we want or what we think uh, we need, and it seems that God isn't giving us just what we want it when we want it. That's when it's tempting to try to do a real thing. And it's easy to allow our insecurities to drive us and to push us to places that we know we shouldn't be. See, it's easy to use gossip to secure friendship. It's easy to compromise our honesty to get a little bit of extra money easy to keep company that we know we shouldn't keep 
we begin to push things to see how far we can go. And then we expect God to catch us when it all goes wrong. The Bible says don't test God. There's no need to test God because God is faithful. Just want to look at the, the last four verses. Just have a, a bit of a think about our desires, the things that we want, the most things that we desire. I don't do the lottery, but I've heard the question asked and it's been asked. And I understand the question. Uh, and we're probably all done it, to be honest. What would you do with the money if you won the lottery? Have you ever had that? You know, what would you buy? All that sort of stuff. Um, well, here's the very unsurprising top ten list of how people answer that. Okay, noticeably, the first five things are things that you can see that people will see and recognise you as being successful or rich. And here they are: one is a luxurious car, two is in brand new clothes. Three is brand name watch, purse, accessories. Four is jewellery. Five is makeup or hairstyle. Okay, Alex prone to that one. <laughs> um, so we'll move away from the things that we can see to just things that make us look rich. Um, six, education. Seven, house. The bigger the better. Eight, electronics. Phone. Latest iPhone. Um, gaming consoles, the usual stuff and nine, for the men, the boys toys, quads, Ryan, you'd like that motorcycles, large lawnmowers, large anything, big jeeps anything that makes us look successful and rich and number ten, travel probably no surprises there and we're subtly taught from an early age that these things are what are going to bring us happiness and of course Satan uses this lie to try and control us too. And of course, if he tried it with Jesus, he's going to try it with you. He's going to try and cast that shiny lure out before you and to see if he can catch you. Have a look at verse 9. It says, All this I will give you. All this I will give you if you bow down to me. Let's consider this really bad deal offered by Satan uh, at the minute. Firstly, here's the thing. Well, maybe he doesn't even mention but it all belonged to Jesus anyway. It was all his anyway. Um, so let's not forget that. And let's not forget that as God's children, we are in his care and then he will provide for us anyway. So effectively, it's all ours and it all will be ours anyway in the long run God will give us everything that we need and an eternity in heaven so Satan suggests to Jesus here that if he gives up obeying his father steps out of God's will that Jesus could bypass the uncomfortable bit of earth bypass Calvary bypass the cross bypass the ongoing obedience of God's plan Jesus did this, he could have all the good stuff now without all the hard stuff. But of course, as in all deals, there's a catch. All deals that are too good to be true, there's a payment that will get you in the end. And the catch here is that Satan wants to be worshipped as God. 
is worshipped. And it's the same lie that is put to us, put to believers, put to unbelievers as well, every day. You could have all of this if you worship me instead of him. Same deal is offered. It's tempting to let our mind wander to that place where we would be if we didn't have the inconvenience, perhaps, uh, of the things that we do when we're Christians. If we didn't have to follow or obey Jesus. John Bunyan wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress. You've probably heard of it. You've probably read it. Have you read it? He called this bypass meadow the temptation of an easier life, the temptation of a softer life, the temptation of a richer life, a more comfortable life, and a life where there's no cross to carry. But understand this, and Jesus understood it well, that this life is short, and believers have to stick to the path that God has laid out before them. Satan wants you to leave that path. He wants you to go into bypass meadow for comfort. And that's what he was offering Jesus here. But Jesus didn't give up. He didn't give up. And again Jesus answers Satan with scripture as he has done uh, on the other two occasions. And he says, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus wouldn't accept this deal. The price was way, way too high. Satan was offering the ultimate false economy. And the sad thing is that human beings too often accept it. It's a bad deal. Comfort on earth and eternity in hell. Our comforts pandered to for 70 years or so. And then eternal separation from God. It's a bad deal. It's the worst deal ever. And it's at this point in verse 10 that Jesus finishes it. Have a look. He shows his authority by telling Satan just to go. There's so much more that we could talk about in these verses. And I would urge you just to take them home with you and read them through the week. And just to, to contemplate and meditate on uh, on these words. Don't have time to do that today, but I just hope uh, that this time that we spent looking, uh, this brief look at this passage, that it gives us some understanding of the tactics that Satan will use to pull you down and pull you away um, from your walk with God. The tactics that Satan used to try to keep Jesus from the cross. To discourage believers into giving up and wandering away on a path away from being an effective believer. But Satan uses the subtly full unbelievers <coughs> into a lost eternity. Let me finish now and I just thank you for listening. But I just would urge you just to continue to read this in your own time. And just to contemplate on, on what Jesus wants us to see here so. I'm just going to hand back to Judith now. I'm going to say a closing song.